This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host on the podcast this week. I'm delighted to be joined this week by John Dunnett. John, you work for an organisation called the CEEC. Can you just tell us what CEEC is? Uh, and what your job is with that. Ross, thank you and great to be joining you on this podcast. CEEC stands for the Church of England Evangelical Council, and my role in that is um, I'm so-called Director of Strategy and Operations. Gosh. Um, so, Church of England Evangelical Council, that, I mean, it's, a, it's an impressive sounding title, and not but not massively descriptive. Could you tell us what... CEC actually is and and what it's who it's comprised of and and something about what it's for um certainly um CEC was founded in the 1960s by John Stott um of All Souls Langham Place um working I'm led to believe with a couple of other partners who included Church Society there you are um and CPAS um who were both around alive and active um at the time and um uh, as far as I understand um it was formed in the aftermath of the formation of EFAC, EFAC, which is the Evangelical Fellowship of the Anglican Communion, because as a result of John Stott's work um, around the globe, um, uh, EFAC was set up. And then, of course, um, the need arose for um, a constituent member of EFAC here in England, hence um, CEC. And at the time, it was very much um, meant to be a place where evangelicals could convene uh, and meet in the Church of England. I mean, Church Society and CPS um, did things, but, you know, the networks that we now know, um, New Wine, Renew, Junior, all the others were not in existence at that time. And so it was a place where evangelicals could convene. And it was also meant to be a place where evangelicals would feel um, supported uh, and um, that would provide a voice for evangelicalism um, in the in in the C of E at the time. Great, and so you said back in the nineteen sixties, I think. So we are some way on from that. Has CEC uh, continued throughout the whole of that time? Has it always been active and and influential? It's a good question, Ros, and the honest answer is no, it hasn't always been that influential. So, I, I mean, in broad brushstrokes, I would say the first 20 or 30 years, it did an excellent job of what it set out to do. Um, I think with the rise in the late 80s and the 90s of a whole range of evangelical networks and families, um, that CEC um, kind of, um, let's put it this way, lost its focus a little bit. Um, and so when we came round to soon after 2010, a whole load of us, and I was on the council at that point, met together uh, and uh, had a very um, um, honest conversation uh, about what, what were we now trying to do and where were we trying to get to and decided really that we needed to 
um, to relaunch CEC um, with new constituent membership, new vision, new leadership, um, if we were going to make an actual contribution, you know, in the 21st century um, to evangelicals. Uh, and that's exactly what happened, ha did happen. Uh, and I, you know, my personal opinion is over the last kind of seven or eight years, um, there has been a real resurgence of CEC's role um, not replacing any evangelical networks and families, but supporting and convening them. Yes, I think that's right. I've certainly become much more aware of it within the last five or six years than than previously. And I think there's something uh, about the sort of mood in the Church of England and the issues that we're dealing with at the moment that seems to make it really important and valuable for evangelicals to have that way of gathering together and saying that although we may have differences about some things and different emphases and different networks, actually we are united uh, as evangelicals. And so I was just going to ask you, because these days lots of people do use the term evangelical to mean a whole lot of different things. Um, what does CEC mean by it and how does that govern who participates in it? Um, many folk listening to this podcast will probably be familiar with the name Bebbington and what we call the Bebbington Quadrilateral. And that's one of the better known definitions, if you like, of what evangelical means. And of course, Bebbington said it's about scripture, it's about the cross, it's about conversionism or being born again, and it's about activism. Um, I think the trouble with that definition these days is there are probably quite a lot of people who would say amen to all of those but who would not feel able to be part of CEC. So then you're left with a question, is that because um, Bebbington was addressing the issues of his time and that doesn't quite work for now, or does it mean that for some reason CEC has become non-evangelical? Now, I don't think the latter is the case at all. Um, I think with the greatest of respect um, to Bebbington's contribution, which has been fantastic, um, there's one of those um, that has... Um, uh, if you like, gone past its sell-by date, because to simply say it's about, you know, evangelicals are those who stand on scripture is actually um, not entirely helpful at the moment. Because so, for example, when I talk to people on General Synod who say they are evangelical, we look at an issue like gender identity and human sexuality, and it could just for the record be other issues as well. But we look at an issue like human sexuality, and what they say to me is, um, well, they take the Bible seriously. Um, so they would tick the Bible box, and I also tick the Bible box, but they clearly um, read the Bible very differently to what I've been taught to read it is saying over the years. So um, evangelical in, in the kind of the um, definition that CEC is using these days um, is clearly um, a definition of evangelicalism that would be recognised across all kinds of centuries and cultures and continents. But we've had to specifically um, talk about issues relating to the cross and human sexuality in a way that makes sense in the 21st century. Yes, that's really helpful. I think um, there's something about uh, the Bebbington Quadrilateral that you mentioned there, which is very descriptive of a particular kind of evangelicalism over, over the, the time period that he was looking at. And I, I think one thing that's interesting about the church today is how many people who are not evangelical in their core beliefs mimic evangelicalism in the way that they do church 
because I think they see that it works to some extent. So the sort of activism, the style of worship, those kinds of things that perhaps 40, 50 years ago, we would say, oh, that marks you as evangelical. Nowadays, those things actually are just mainstream. And so even more important to have the focus on the doctrinal core of evangelicalism and what that states. And so, uh, and, and as you say, particularly important these days to make clear um, what we mean by that on the issues of uh, gender and sexuality that are so in dispute within the Church of England at the moment. It's the Church of England Evangelical Council. It's not a formal institution of the Church of England, is it? So I just, so I just wonder, uh, in what way does it seek to have influence over the Church of England? Mm. Um, you're quite right to say CEC is not a formal instrument of the Church of England, um, in the same way that, for example, the historic mission agencies in the Church of England are formally recognised through provision of pensions and other means. Um, but CEC is just as committed to the Church of England. Uh, I mean, it, the giveaway is in the title, um, but when you look at the constituent membership and when you look at the individuals, um, we are all people who are passionate about the Church of England. I was born in a Leicestershire rectory. My father was a clergyman in the Church of England. You know, apart from two years where I went AWOL as a Baptist, I've always been a member of the Church of England um, during the whole of my life. No offence to my Baptist brothers and sisters, obviously. Um, so we are committed committed to um, the Church of England. And uh, I mean, in terms of influence, I guess we, 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 we are trying to offer a number of things. First of all, a place where we can convene across our networks. And it's been really encouraging in recent years to see, for example, a convening across the charismatic, non-charismatic divide. That has been a joy um, to see people coming together. The same with men and women in leadership. There is a mutual respect in CEC across um, the convictions that people share um, in that regard. So there's, there's a convening, there's a resourcing, and I'm sure you're going to ask me a couple of questions about resources in a few moments. Um, we've been trying to offer um, to evangelical churches perhaps one or two things that are not already there for them. Um, thirdly, um, I suppose we um, would like to see ourselves as advocates for evangelicalism, and in particular in our work amongst bishops and senior leaders, we will be trying to articulate what evangelicals on the ground, you know, believe and have concerns about. Um, and I suppose the fourth and final one is um, we're concerned to mobilise evangelicals as and when necessary and appropriate. And at the moment, of course, again, we will come back to this issue of LLF and human sexuality. But 10 years down the track, we might be mobilising them over something totally different. For example, the doctrine of atonement. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's come to that. So you have been working for CEC for a year or so now, John, something like that. Uh, it's actually only since February this year. OK, I mean, it feels Formally, a lot longer. although lo I've, been, I've been involved with CEC a lot longer. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it feels a lot longer. Um, Keith Sinclair was appointed National Director again. Prior to that, yep. Within, within the last year or two. And you've also got a Director of Communications now as well, I think. Um, so that's three members of staff uh, where previously I think there were none. So that's really exciting in terms of the capacity that CEC now has to get stuff done that doesn't, do doesn't just depend on its 
you know, capacity of its voluntary members. Can you just give us some idea, what are the sort of things that CEC has been working on in the last few years? And also what, what you've got coming up that we might look out for? Yep. I need to add a fourth to that team because we've got the fabulous Joe Foster, um, who is our, if you like, office manager. And um, she's there at the desk all the time, providing the kind of the background infrastructure um, um, so yeah, let's let's not forget Joe. Um, so some of the things we've been working on. Well, one or two may not surprise you. We've been working really hard um, to support and encourage existing DEFs, diocesan evangelical fellowships, and to help evangelicals in dioceses where there is not one um, to actually. And pull together and get one formed. And the good news is that I think over the last 12 months we've seen a number reinvigorated, um, several formed um, either for the first time or for the second or third time as it were, uh, and several others in the pipeline. We're up to about 35 dioceses that now have a DEF. Um, uh, and that's great. And supporting the leadership of those DEFs is an important matter. So in a couple of weeks time, we've got the chairs and secretaries coming to a day in London. We did the same last year. So that's one big and important area. Um, we've also been producing one or two resources. And um, if you go to the CEC website, cec.info, and look at um, resource, the resources tab, um, a drop down menu appears and people can see there um, the word one as in O-N-E. And that's a page where we've provided um, a suite of resources to help people think about issues of race, racism and ethnicity from a biblical point of view. And one of our key players in that regard um, is someone called Jason Roach, who was formerly the Bishop, one of the Bishop of London's advisors. He now works for London City Mission. He helped us pull together some really helpful resources, including a fabulous roundtable film that enable people to ask the question, well, what is a biblical take on these issues? Important issues we hear a lot about. Um, what does scripture have to say about these things rather than anyone else? So that's one area. We've also done quite a bit of work on the whole issue of what we call healthy leadership, because you and I are aware that in our own evangelical family, we've had some appalling abuses of leadership um, over the years. And we felt as CEC that we had to recognize that um, and say well that has happened um, in evangelical churches so we need to face up to that um, and the resources that we produced um, were appropriately produced under the title in lament because we wanted to say there is nothing here that we are proud of um, but at the same time, what we want to help people to do is to look forwards. And so there's a suite of downloadable leaflets that can help people have conversations um, in PCCs and ministry teams and staff teams to say, what does accountable, healthy, good biblical leadership look like in our setting? And then just to mention one more, during COVID, for example, we were involved in trying to um, support churches over the whole business of Holy Communion. And uh, you will remember um, the toing and froing between the House of Bishops and virtually everybody else about um, what was helpful and, and appropriate and, and all the rest of it. So they're just some of the areas in which we've tried to help. There are others as well coming down the pipeline. No, that's great. And I think that's really helpful because many people, I think, will have come across the beautiful story and some of your resources around living in love and faith. And it's just so great to see that even while that big issue is, is there and, and sort of looming, CEC has still been able to take the time to engage with some of these other issues that have been so important uh, to the church and, and to the world around us uh, in these last couple of years. And, and I have been impressed, consistently impressed by the quality 
of um, the material that CET is producing, the quality of the films and the, the quality of the, the downloadable leaflets and, and all of those kind of things. So I would certainly commend that to people if you've not uh, had a look at some of those things, just to see what you might uh, want to work through yourself. But as you say, John, also some of those would be really great to work through with a staff leadership team, a PCC, your, your church wardens, um, key people within your church as well. So we're really uh, thankful uh, to CEC for doing some of those things because most, you know, those are not things that um, need to be replicated across all of our different networks. There isn't a, a different church society take on the issue of race than a, than a new wine take on it, you know. So actually to be able to produce something that we can all use and have confidence in is, is a real um, service to the whole church. Yeah. And perhaps it's, worth, perhaps it's worth me just saying, Roz, that that's only possible because um, of so many folk who are willing to be part of CEC's, as it were, larger life. So, you know, Jason Roach is neither employed, has never been employed by CEC or, or an officer or anything like that, but he was just um, an individual who wanted to work with us on this important topic. I mean, Ed Shaw, who pulled together our In Lament resources, does happen to be one of the co-chairs of CEC, but he's not employed by CEC. He's a minister in Bristol, and um, it's many people like them and like yourself and like others who are part of, as it were, the greater CEC family. And it's only with their endeavours and with the very generous support of individuals, you know, financially, that we've been able to do what we've done. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you um, for saying that. Now, I just want to go back. You mentioned uh, Diocesan Evangelical Fellowships. Um, and how uh, many of those have been sort of re-established or revitalised in dioceses around the country. What What is the sort of official formal relationship between CEC and the DEFs? Um, see, um, the council, so CEC, Church of England Evangelical Council, the council has about 45 members, of whom approximately a dozen are elected by the DEFs around the country, so long as the DEFs have the same basis of faith as CEC. So they have quite a large constituent membership of CEC, um, which is vital because at the end of the day, what CEC is interested in is the life of parish churches in the Church of Lingham, the local church, and of course the DEFs above all are made up of clergy and lay people who are part of local churches. So their voice is massively important to CEC. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable thing for people to know. It's not just a group of people who are detached from parish ministry, you know, people like me who work for a parish church organisation or um, you know, people who are elected in some way or evangelical bishops, that actually you could be, if you're listening to this, you could be on CEC. You know, you would go along to your local DEF in your diocese and the next time elections come round, you can stand for election to CEC and, and that's it. You don't have to have any other formal affiliation or qualification. Um and it's interesting within that. So the only um, requirement then for the DEF is that they have the same basis of faith as CEC. But within that, they're then free to operate in any way that they feel appropriate in their local context. So I wonder whether you're able to give us just a snapshot of different 
different DEF activities and the sort of things that that people are finding useful around the country. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you. I mean, historically, DEFs have held several meetings a year and encouraged people to come to these meetings, had a good speaker, etc., etc. At various points, particularly what you might call crisis points, they then had to step up and do something else. But if you were saying to me, what would I be looking um, for a good DEF to do? Let me offer you five words. Number one is DEF should be praying um, for Um, not just the evangelical churches in their diocese, but for the diocese as a whole. Number two, they should be reaching out to try and connect with evangelicals who might feel disconnected um, from uh, evangelical brothers and sisters. So there are many evangelicals in non-evangelical churches, and I would hope that DFs could reach for them. Thirdly, I think they ought to be supporting particularly evangelical ministers if there are some issues where they need an extra bit of as it were, weight and support. Um, and um, fourthly, I think they need, sorry, fourthly, they need to be a voice in dioceses. So, you know, if your bishops um, pr- make a pronouncement or make a decision um, that really is not scripturally supportable, then I would hope that DEFs would work out the appropriate way to be a voice for evangelicals against that in the diocese. And finally, connecting evangelicals in the diocese with evangelicals nationally and what's going on. So a good DF has got quite a busy agenda. Yes, that's a really helpful list, actually. Thank you, John. And I'm, as you're going through it, I'm, I'm thinking about my uh, local uh, DEF here in Litchfield Diocese. And, and certainly we have the meetings with good speakers. I mean, only last month, in fact, earlier this month, we had... Uh, the director of church society came to speak at RDF. So, I mean, that's brilliant. And I think you've been yourself, John, to speak uh, for us and, and others as well. So we definitely do that. Um, but also I can think clearly now of, of several individuals I can think of who I know have been ministering for quite a long time in non-evangelical churches around our diocese who within the last year or two have found the DEF and come along and, and just found that that fellowship and and support just a a wonderful wonderful blessing and if i can push that Mm. if i can push that a tiny bit further if you flipped it and then said so what are the real challenges what 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 are the challenges i would want to put in front of dfs i think there are two in particular um one is to um think beyond meetings and to ask what are our aims and our purposes and how can we achieve those without calling people to yet more meetings because i'm not sure people want to go to yet more meetings and secondly um reach amongst lay people because we don't yet know what's going to happen in the church of england going forward around human sexuality but if some kind of liberalizing change happens there will be evangelicals in non-evangelical churches up and down the country who who you know in a sense their faith will get boiled in the pan like the proverbial frog and i think dfs we really want to challenge dfs to be connecting with those people so that they can support and be a voice for them yeah that's brilliant thank you um just on your point about beyond the meeting i mean something else we've just done uh, recently is our DEF committee have uh, written a letter uh, to our bishop about uh, various uh, things, including what happened at Lambeth, but also 
a, a bit of a relic that's being installed in the cathedral. You know, that's and I've a seen low... the photographs of it. Yeah, right. unbelievable. And, you know, yeah. I mean, that's an issue in our diocese that, you yeah. know, the National Church are not going to deal with, National Seas is not no. going to deal with. But as a DEF, we felt very strongly about it. And so then we've been able to gather signatures. I think more than 100 people have signed that, clergy and lay people from across the diocese. Good. And that just has much more weight and impact than if a handful of you know, the the usual suspect troublemakers get in touch and say so. So um, that sort of collective action that a DEF can have, I think, is really valuable as well. Well, it's been really interesting uh, to hear, John, a bit more about what CEC is and, and what it's been doing. How would you encourage people? This is your key advertising moment. How would you encourage people to find out what is going on and get involved with what CEC is doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question, uh, Ros. Delighted to respond to that. Um, number one is obviously have a look at our website. We're actually beginning of November going to launch a new website, so it will be all singing, all dancing. But the address will remain the same: cec.info. So do have a look at the website. And secondly, um, sign up to this new thing, this CEC e-bulletin. You can do that through the website. You simply look for the tab that says e-bulletin. You click on that, it asks you a number of questions and we will then send you every four to six weeks a short e-bulletin that keeps you up to speed with some of the really critical things um, that are happening at the moment. Fantastic, that's really great news about the website. I will put the links for those things in the show notes that go with this episode. Uh, Do come back next time when I will be continuing this conversation with John and we'll be discussing more uh, of the specific questions around what's happening with living in love and faith at the moment, but also what might happen and some of the things CEC has been doing a lot of work thinking about and, and putting provisional plans in place for following whatever comes out of the House of Bishops and the the General Synod uh, decisions in the next few months. So um, I would highly uh, recommend that you come back next week to hear more about the potential future for the Church of England. But in the meantime, John, thank you so much for being with us this week. Thank you for the invitation. It's been great to spend time with you, Roz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm